Collective Conversations is a podcast of the Nazarene Collective. We are people from diverse communities united with one mission and one vision that invites us all to take our next steps of faith following Jesus together. Sometimes these steps seem massive or more like a baby step for others. And more often than not, we don't take these steps alone. When walking with others, next steps often take place as we simply move at the speed of relationship, one conversation at a time. Welcome to Collective Conversations. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are in one of our bonus episodes talking about the seven series and the end times. So we'll be spending a little time today talking about Sardis, as well as diving into the end times to talk about the mark of the beast, (laughs) the mark of the beast. Hey, Sean is obviously here and as is Eric today, and we are looking forward to a good time together. If you haven't heard the teaching from this past weekend, I encourage you to do that as Eric uh, just broke down the word for us about Sardis and working through that. But before we dive into Sardis, I think it would be fun for Eric to just to get a little vulnerable. To, to let us into the, the deeper side of Eric. And I don't know if you want to peel that onion. <laughs> we need to know what makes him tick. It is. It's a great mystery the to inside, us The inside. He's yeah. he's robotic at times. We need to know. Who are you? Hollow tin shell right here. <laughs> <laughs> Good right. luck. Many have tried, many have failed. But let's go. We'll, I'll give you a little bit. All right. So uh, give us something maybe that maybe some people would label a little odd or weird, and then maybe something a little obscure. I'll give you the obscure first, All right. because the odd that's that's getting vulnerable. I need to I need to warm up to uh, okay. that. Okay, there you go. <laughs> so something that some people don't know about me, I have a cousin. He's a second cousin who is actually in movies in Hollywood. He recorded back in the '90s. He was in Apollo 13. He was in the movie Under Siege. He was in the movies. The ones he's most known for are the um, Fugitive and the follow-up to that, the uh, U.S. Marshals. Oh, so he had a reoccurring role. He did. So he was uh, kind of a main character in The the Fugitive, and then I, this is kind of a uh, a giveaway for the second one in U.S. Marshals, but it's been a couple of years, so you, if you haven't seen it yet, then that's on you. Yep. But he, he actually dies in the in U.S. Marshals, and it's kind Ooh. of a, a tragic a tragic ending. But Aww. you would know him as Newman in both of those. Not the Newman from Seinfeld. Yeah, not from Seinfeld, but from... Uh, but from U.S. Marshals and the Fugitive film. I, I also loved him in Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah, I missed him in that one. <laughs> so, yeah, he one time he was visiting my dad when I was with him. I went to go look on the TV, and there was actually one of his movies, but he was driving some car, and I'm like, you're sitting right here, and you're on the screen at the same time. And, and so he kind of explained the, the process of that movie, and it was kind of neat to see that in the same moment. With the I, awesome. IMDB. Yeah, his name is Tom Wood. Tom so Wood. That's, it's not like I'm even making it up. The name the name checks <laughs> <Yeah>. out. <laughs> All right, that's pretty obscure. Not many that's people good. have a relative who has been on the big screen multiple times. Multiple times. With a, yeah. not only a recurring role, but he got to die on screen. He did. His names are in <laughs> well, the Actually, he died, he died in Under Siege, too. Oh, no. Yeah. It's, Everybody it's kinda, dies in Steven Seagal movies. Yeah, they're kind of graphic <laughs> scenes, but... <laughs> He died of Well, now you all know Eric has famous relatives in the mix that who he sat on a couch with while he was watching I did. them. I met him. I went to his wedding. Oh, wow. okay. Santa Barbara, California. Ooh. Nice. That was real nice. It's a Hollywood man. All right. All right. So th- that's obscure. What's something maybe just an, an odd? What's what's a bit off about you? 
Yeah, I had to go to my wife for this one. And uh, really, she, <laughs> you she didn't had, know. She had a list. How many? I was gonna say, how many books did she give you? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. She gave me the top of the list. So one thing that I do that's a little weird. I, every time I look at a number, especially if it's a longer number, I have to figure out if that number is divisible by three. And by doing that, you have to add up all the numbers in that sequence, and then if that number itself is divisible by three, the entire number is divisible by three. Whoa. <laughs> I never yeah. heard that. Yeah, so I see page numbers, I see phone numbers, I see whatever. Right, let me throw one at you. 527. No. Okay. That equals 14, so no. Wouldn't it be easier to know? Well, no, I was going to, I was about to reveal my math level there. I'm just going to stop now. Do you carry the Kazinta? <laughs> <laughs> Something squared, divisible by square it's root. It's the old man. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, you, if you can't draw the boxes, you, yeah. you just didn't work. So literally every number you see, that's your, much, yeah, your brain. Yeah, anytime I see there. it, I start adding them together and see if it's divisible by three. Oh. I don't, it was some trick I learned in middle school, and for some reason that's always stuck with me, and I, Every time I see a number, there we go. There's a, cool. a proud math teacher out there somewhere. <laughs> well, Eric, we'll have to agree that that may be a bit, a little bit weird, but we're glad to know that any number we throw at you, you're going to be able to figure out and master and know if it is div- divisible by three. It's a skill. All right. So, it's a gift. He has, he's a man of many talents. We already knew that. Now we found another. So... You uh, spoke to us last weekend, talking, working us through the seven series, talking about Sardis. Can you take us back to that? Maybe some, uh, either just work through that content again, or just some additional thoughts you had that you wanted to share. Yeah, I mean, what I loved about this one, the context of the city, and just you know, a recap if you not if you already listened to it, but I'm not going to dive all the way back in. But the fact that the city was built on a hill and was incredibly wealthy, they became complacent, they became kind of arrogant in their faith. They were described as being kind of fluffy around the edges. That complacency kind of led to an apathy in the city, but then it translated to the church as well. But the city being built up on this hill was impenetrable. There was army after army would come in try to take over, and the the only way in and out on those main gates they they were fortified, so they. They pushed back uh, all of their enemies until one time when uh, the the king Croatius, one of the most wealthy men of all time, as he pursued Cyrus of Persia, he got beat, got pushed back into his city, and Cyrus was determined to get in. So he offered a reward to one of the soldiers, and the soldier watched one of the other guys from the army, from, from Sardis, drop his helmet, watched him climb down to get it, and saw that there was a way to get into the city. And so as, as he made his way back at night and watched that same route go back up, he got into the city, unlocked the gates, and found that there was nobody watching. If they the gates were, were shut, that nobody was watching the rest of the city. And so that's where the letter comes in, when it, when it says that mm. you need to wake up and you need to keep watch because I'm coming like a thief at a time that you'll you have no idea. So the the letter was referencing the history of the city, which translated to the history of that church. They became complacent. They became apathetic to everything. They they didn't think that they needed to watch for an enemy. And so he's telling the church, you need to wake up because there's a there's an enemy that's gonna be out there. Mm. And if you don't, you're really dead on the inside, and there's no life to be found. Just kind of, kind of crazy that the the history of the of the city uh, speaks to the the letter itself. Well, it's the context in which, when you're giving the history of it, you understand the the words have just some deeper rooted meaning right. than if you just take it at face value. And that's that's not diminishing scripture as much as the importance to understanding the why. Right. If you wrote a, a letter to Las Vegas today. 
I think all of us sitting around here would understand the context of what Las Vegas has to offer. You have a, an image that comes to mind. And even talking about the King Croatius, if we were to sit here and talk about Jeff Bezos and Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, we understand the wealth that those three individuals carry. So you're right that there is a a context of which when they write, when scripture was written, it was written to a specific audience to speak to that context, but then we can contextualize that today. That's, that's powerful. That's good stuff. It was a great message. So is Eric, anything else you need to add? No, I think just as, as people of the church, we got to wake up. We got to, we got to make sure that our faith is fresh, that it's alive and that it's not just as the letter said, that we don't just have a reputation, that we don't just put on the outward appearance of being Christians, but that we really have life inside that we're living as an overflow from that life into everything else. Well, the first part of the discussion is, is about the, the one of the seven churches. And then we take a aspect of the, the second coming, the, the end times book of revelation and we we talk about it and today we're going to chat about the mark of the beast and and i feel like this is probably one of those items that draws the most apprehension you know because we we want to make sure that you know nobody wants to take the mark if we're not you know are we going to get tricked into it or we you know is there going to be a time when all of a sudden we have it and didn't know we were getting it but the mark of the beast is somewhere around the middle of the tribulation the false prophet will lead the campaign to get everyone to take the mark of the antichrist and once the mark comes into play the world will really in essence be divided into two groups those who have it and those who don't and perhaps some, uh, the polarizing issues of today give us a bit of a foreshadowing, but I don't think they touch on what will take place then. We, we know that our world and country is divided. There's the politics side. There's, there's faith side. There's all these things that really come into, into play. And it really is probably a view of what's coming, that it, it will be two camps. Either you have it or you don't. And, and just think how, how evil this will be. Think of how evil other marks in history have been. I mean, the, the Jews and the Holocaust, the, the marks on slaves as property, both historically and present day. And, but the end times are, are certain the, that there's a deadline for humanity to decide uh, to follow Jesus or not. So here's some of the scriptures that tell us a little more about the mark of the beast. Uh, in Revelation chapter 14, uh, it says, the third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been pour- poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest or day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark in his of its name. Revelation chapter 20 uh, talks about it uh, again. They had not worshipped the beast. Uh, he's talking about those who were beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus. And it, it mentions again, they had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their forehead or their hand. And they would come to life with Christ. And then in Revelation 13, it will force all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. So let the people who have insight calculate the numbers of the beast, for it is the number of man. That number is 666. So let's talk a little bit about what do we know, what do, what we don't know, and what people have been speculating and sharing as gospel truth. Is the number 666 divisible by three? I've already looked at it. <laughs> okay. It's divisible by three. 
Yeah, so looking at those scriptures, what we what we know, learning from that, the false prophet is going to be the one that's going to initiate this process for the world. That we see that the mark will be on the right hand or the forehead or maybe even both. It's going to be a a mark of loyalty to the beast or the antichrist. It will require a choice that we have to make that that conscious decision to reject Jesus as the savior of the world and God the Father who sent him. This mark is going to allow those to be able to purchase and sell. That's going to be how we get commodities in the world. Without the mark, you can't get food, put gas in your car, pay your bills. If you get sick or injured, you can't go to the doctor or make the the ER trip. Forget the ability to pay your prescription or entertainment or, or you're going to just be shut off from modern society and just pretty much every single way by not having that mark. So the number 666 will be significant in that time and will make absolute sense then. But until then, we don't know exactly how it will come into play. We just know it's the number of the beast. It will be a voluntary decision by people to take the mark, but there will be deception involved. There'll be lies. Believers will not be tricked into this. It will be a clear decision they will make where they will know what uh, that they are rejecting Jesus in that decision. It won't matter if you're rich or poor, socially elevated, or an outcast. Everyone will have to make a choice to receive the mark or not. If you reject the mark, you'll more than likely be killed for doing so. So let's talk about what we don't know. Uh, we don't know exactly what this mark is going to look like or, or exactly how it's going to be placed on us. Some think it's a mark that's going to be a tattoo, uh, so believing it's like a barcode or some kind of symbol chip biometrics, some some kind of technology being involved in that. Uh, what people jump to often is there are some things that we can see as potential indicators of getting closer to the end times, but what, we just need to be cautious and not jump on every theory or idea. In particular, let's talk technology. And you know, technology already allows us to buy and sell goods and services, so people naturally wonder if technology is going to be connected to the mark. And we're heading towards a cashless society, which makes people wonder if that's another sign of us heading in the direction of that mark because it's, you could easily limit who can purchase and who can sell. And people are already they're implanting the chips. They're using them to purchase and other conveniences. I mean, I, I have yet to see it. I mean, I've seen the, the articles and different posts where they somebody got their credit card number basically put really? in, in a chip in their hand, and they are able to just do the swipe that way. Well, I know people put chips in their dogs when they get lost. You know, yeah. you got to find them. What happens when that number gets lost or like compromised and <laughs> to get a new, that's like a, great, a new tattoo? That's they a just, great question. No, they just cut their hand off. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, you can't have that. But I mean, yeah, what do you, what, what happens there? Oh, that's a great question. I, but I know that Eric's probably a little, he is, I shouldn't say, I think. I know Eric's a little younger. But do you remember the grocery stores when they came out with the scan, the bar, barcode scans? Yes. See, I remember that and thinking, this is it. This, this. Oh. You uh, went from being so impressed by the often the lady who could just punch in numbers. They were impressed. They and could never look at the keyboard with one hand. I, it's it, yeah. I, but I remember when that happened. That that was a, a discussion that that this was a sign. This is we're there oh, yeah. yep. now. That was. 40 years ago. <laughs> Try not to think of how far back that was. <laughs> that was a long time ago. So when we look at that number uh, 666, I think that's one of those other things that we sometimes get a little bit um, mixed up. Now, what, what, one of the things I've found, anytime something is repeated, especially three times, it's emphasized in Scripture. So mm-hmm. like when we're talking holy, mm-hmm. holy, holy, there is an emphasis on the holiness of God 
and the understanding that six being the being the the number of man that there's an emphasis on man in the midst of of this mark of the beast this this number but i think a lot of times we jump to conclusions about that number uh using the numbers in the alphabet they come up with so many different ideas and connecting to political figures popes dictators even barney the dinosaur and more poor Um, barney i know why i why did he get dragged into this although if you've ever watched that, you think, why am I being tortured with this with this content? Make that thing stop singing. Yeah. I, I did everything I could to not let my daughters watch that show. Was because, purely because it selfishly. was the Antichrist. We, that's, what we, that's what we need to teach them, if that's what it takes. But so anytime we come across this number, I mean, it's like if, you, if you're at the grocery store, back to your, you're scanning your, your groceries, yeah. and your total comes up to $6.66, and it's like, whoa. Buy a pack of gum. Can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take a mint, please. Just one. Could you break that package open? Because I just need a penny. Yeah, I just need to get over that. When we were doing uh, side by side, and we had the different numbers up to 1,000, you know, did we take 666 down? Because who would want to take that number? And so I think we sometimes overthink that. But I, I think there's a lot of times we create our own systems uh, to come up with a name or two. We use, uh, we use scripture to get an idea, multiplying the sixes to get uh, 216, which is multiple, uh, divisible by three, as the actual number of the beast. There was even some suggesting that June 6, 2006 was the day of something. Um, that, you know, that 6606. But I don't think that happened in June 6th of 1006. Or, you know, so I think we over, again, overthink that, that number. Uh, some people suggest that 666 is the number of the Emperor Nero and that he was the Antichrist. Mm. I think it's just important. We don't, it's worth studying, but it's not worth getting caught up in the conspiracy theories at this point where we get suspicious of phone numbers, zip codes, the grocery store numbers, all of those things. Uh, the number 666 doesn't have any actual mystical powers right now. It's just a number. But it's in the tribulation, it's going to take on meaning that will be um, ways that it unites the world. But for believers who have to make the choice to follow Jesus and reject the mark, it will more than likely end their life. Right. So when? When does all this happen? When the false prophet is in the prime of his reign and leadership, he will be the one pushing the mark. And the timing of the mark will be within the tribulation, more than likely at the beginning of the second half of the tribulation. Anything prior to the future time period is not the mark of the beast that you need to avoid. So we don't need to be superstitious or caught up in the conspiracy theories of today. And there's and there's so many out there that people talk about and think about. And, and you know... I. From the Stamp Act in the 1700s, they thought that was a sign of the mark of the beast. Till uh, what we saw in in the horrific tragedies of all of humanity through World War One and World War Two would have would have led anybody with any biblical history to think this this could be it. And and even in our own taking the Social Security number, you get that at birth without a choice. And we all everybody alive in the United States has a number. We've already been numbered. And so it's really hard. So the knowing the when and the context is really, really important. When it comes down to this idea of 666, when it comes down to the mark of the beast, one thing is clear. There, there will be no more neutrality that day. Everyone will have to decide. Next week, 
we're going to be having another two episodes. We'll be having talking with some of our ladies who have gone on their own epic adventure of pilgrimage. That'll be on Tuesday, and then on Thursday, uh, we'll be back to talk about the Church of Philadelphia. Thanks for being with us this week.